We are back, back for the 32nd episode of Letterman Jacket and back for a very special on the inaugural edition of the Jackets, our end of season Oklahoma football award show. I am joined by Todd Lizenby and Gary Neeming. Some of us even dressed for the occasion. It is an award show, guys. Uh, but we are here to hand out some awards and wrap the Sooners 2023 football season here in the first week of 2024. How's everyone doing? Everyone honored to, to be here? Happy to be here? not fair Eli fashion is supposed to make you think make you talk and this makes you think and talk this sellout crowd hoodie I like it you're uh I, I thought you were dressed for you look like a Hogwarts candidate <laughs> Hogwarts candidate like I got a court date um like I'm going to a communion all the above right any others the best part about doing our video podcast is it's all from the waist up as well so he's probably got on some gym shorts or something or you know, I'm not wearing pants. There was no telling what's under the table. He's, he's doing he's Tom cruising, I think, after this thing's <laughs> over. I'm gonna slide across the room. I do have socks on, I'll just slide right across. <laughs> well, this is the that's the proper opening for for the jackets because kind of you know, the film industry, they've got the Academy Awards, got the Golden Globes, they got the BAFTAs, all the big ones, and then they've got the film independent spirit awards, which get done in a tent on a beach in California. That's us. That's what this award show is. Uh, unvarnished, nothing fancy, not self-serious, unlike some other award shows. It's just us. Uh, before we dive in, though, we're going to run through categories on the Sooners' whole 23 season. It's a little housekeeping. We're recording Wednesday afternoon here. Last night, Woody Washington announced his plans to return to OU for a sixth season. Only guy to start every game under Brent Venables. And a 35-game starter, easily the most experienced guy on the defense. Garen, it's kind of a run of veterans choosing to come back this year for OU. Uh, we've talked on the jacket before about you know NIL playing a role in that, just a different era. But um, the significance for OU bringing back all that experience as they go to the SEC. Yeah, I don't think it matters so much the reason. The fact it's just that they are coming back, and it makes a big difference. It matters more from an OU standpoint that defensive players are returning than than offensive ones, and I know. People can pivot right to quarterback and say, well, it's a big deal when a quarterback the caliber of Dylan Gabriel transfers to Oregon. Yes, I, I see that. But if you if you take the learning curve for a Brent Venables defense and compare it to that of any other defense or any offense, and it's it's just steeper than 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 typical. And so it it just it helps guys, no matter how talented, no matter how skilled, no matter how many stars are attached to their name, it helps guys to feel comfortable in that defense. And so the more players who feel better about what they're doing and what they're absorbing from Venable's schemes, the more players on all three levels of, of that defense who feel comfortable, then the better the, the machine is going to hum. And so Washington, along with Bowman on the back end, combined with you know Stutzman right in the middle, combined with the guys who are returning up front, does set OU up well, I think, defensively going into the SEC, yes. I, I would just say, Eli, that I think the same answer applies for Woody Washington that I had when Danny Stutzman and Billy Bowman announced they were coming back. If Brent Venables wants to preach that he's going to not have a transactional program and have a relational program, then these guys coming back, it has to pay off in them continuing to get better and improving their draft stock. And I think this is, I mean, it's obviously a huge year next year because of Oklahoma going to the SEC, but also... You know, the, if those guys can come back next year, have better seasons, get drafted higher than they would have this year, 
that's going to encourage people in the future in his program to do the same thing. It's big, and the experience they're bringing back. Brent Venables has talked about even you know having experienced guys and just the benefit of a guy being in years. Now it's four through six as opposed to one through three, uh, but also experience in his system and, and how that begins to pay off. It's important, and, and they're now bringing back a spine of a defense that um, was you know really impressive at times this year. At others, you know maybe dropped off a bit, but uh, certainly an improved unit and one that we know they need to have when they go to the SEC and that if you want to start projecting and thinking about who else might come up through the depth chart, who might come in through the portal, uh, a defense you can feel good about if you're an Oklahoma fan. So big news with Woody Washington. Yeah. Hey, real, yeah. yeah, yeah real, real, one, one more thing. Posted the selloutcrowd.com this morning, the column uh, that I think has got a lot of OU fans upset with me, but I, I want to make the point. Texas developed players that contributed to the Longhorns getting to the semifinals this year, right? And it wasn't just, we, we assume that's five, a bunch of five-star guys finally li living up to their hype. That wasn't the case necessarily in Austin. And you, you look at Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, and Jalen Ford, sort of the fulcrum of that defense that got Texas a Big 12 title and got them to the Sugar Bowl. Multi-year players who were three-star recruits, guys, this, this, the, you can still organically grow a really, really good defense a, without getting five stars, but B, um, making sure they stick around long enough and avoid the portal and avo avoid NIL enticements and come to uh, come to some kind of a synthesis with the coordinator. And so if you want an example of how this should work for the Sooners going into the SEC, I know it doesn't feel comfortable doing it, but look, look at Austin. Look at what Texas did this year, and it sets up potentially that well uh, for Oklahoma to have that kind of success with this core group. That's all. All these kind of kind words have you gotten since writing that column, Gary? <laughs> well, people aren't comfortable with the phrase player development and Texas coaches. And I understand why we all do, right? Because that, that, that hasn't been going on down there for a while. It was this year with Sarkeesian and that defense in particular. That was the point of the column. Not to say that Oklahoma is lagging behind Texas and this, that, or the other. It, I, I come in peace normally. This is no different. Uh, agree to disagree, and we'll move on to a column in which I uh, blow the old sunshine up, uh, up Brent Venable's keister next time. Well, I since we're all doing self-promotion here, uh, well, <laughs> Eli didn't really self-promote, but Eli, is there a place where I can go to follow all the comings and goings in the portal for Oklahoma football? Oh, there is indeed. We've got a Sooners offseason roster track tracker. Thank you, Todd. No mention of Texas in there if you don't want to hear it. Uh, you just go to Garen Emig for that. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, we've got the roster tracker going. Got some analysis up on the site too, both about uh, Woody Washington's return and what it means uh, and a potential fit for Jake Roberts, former Norman North standout, Baylor transfer, who there's a spot open for him now. This is the second bit of housekeeping. Blake Smith, Sooners tight end, here for a year from Texas A&M. He's hit the portal. You can start doing some math perhaps that a uh, it's Wednesday we're talking here, but that a former Seth Luttrell, North Texas tight end, who's in the portal and is from Norman, uh, that could be uh, in the cards with an opening in the Sooners tight end. Garen, I might beat you for hate mail this week because on Ranking Something Silly, I'm doing halftime shows, and I talked about how uh, marching bands are t usually terrible. So I think I might, I might beat you for hate mail because the band people, when they come out, they come out in full force. 
<laughs> I, I did. I'll, I'll say this, Garen. That one line in your column that said Texas is going to win ten straight Red River games was a big reveal. <laughs> that was over the top. What? <laughs> hey, a bit much. How, how, why are we? We're, we're doing an award show for OU. When's the one for Texas? That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, and that, are we giving out something better than jackets? That's on the mind games. Those are, those are the emigs when uh, when we host the award show for Texas. Since you're the big Texas fan on this uh, panel, what do they hand out at the emigs? <laughs> What do they hand out of the Emix? Copies of Karl Marx, I assume. <laughs> knowing that my readers think <laughs> most of my readers from when I was at the Tulsa World think that it's uh, you know it's all it's it's all brainwashing, and that all I'm looking to do is uh, apply the Communist Manifesto to sports. So I, I guess we'll do that. Nietzsche, maybe I don't know. Fabulous literature, we love it. Uh, two last bits of housekeeping before we make the smooth transition from Karl Marx into our 2023 football awards. OU Men's Hoops opens Big 12 play Saturday at Lloyd Noble Center, 5 p.m. The women are we're recording Wednesday at BYU tonight, that first Provo trip for the Sooners outside of football. Uh, and then they've got Cincinnati at noon. It's a doubleheader uh, Saturday in Norman. Raise that hand. Do they Todd. give ice cream to like the women's team between third and fourth quarters? Like on the bench, do they bring them ice cream at BYU? I didn't get any ice cream when I was up there, so as far as I'm concerned, it's still okay. <laughs> well, from Karl Marx into awards, these are the ones that matter. They're the ones that will be remembered. These are the 2023 Jacket Awards, the Jackets, uh, honoring the very best, and at, in some cases, the very worst of Oklahoma football in 2023. Garen, you got something to pitch in? Yeah, of course. So when we announce the winner, are we picturing the player being present you're putting the jacket on the player like the master's champ correct, puts the jacket correct. on the winner and, and it, i know it, what yeah, what does that's, the that's exactly look like? does, it, does it look like something that rodney dangerfield wore in caddyshack <laughs> is it what color what fashion is it like captain kangaroo red well we've got the 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 icon the logo for the letterman jacket pod it's a pretty good facsimile i know we've talked about getting me one to, to you know travel the country in I'm still waiting on our, our merch folks to to deliver that, or maybe they'll be at the merch store someday. Uh, but yes, these jackets, you know, the, the old-fashioned Letterman jacket, I know they still do hand out letters, you know, uh, for your letter winner. But I'd like to think that somebody like Woody Washington, somebody like uh, a Danny Stutzman knows the value of this Letterman jacket and and would be pretty honored, probably more honored than the, the letters you get for playing football. But really, this this Letterman jacket is is the one that matters the one you hang up and, and the one they, you do they hand out like an o because somebody like casey thompson might be able to spell like a 12 letter word by the time he's done with all the letters he's gotten over the years uh i mean some of these guys are getting multiple letters from multiple different schools well see that's you're right they're more meaningless now these letters which only boost the importance of these that's jackets right. these letterman jackets yeah. and so we're gonna dive in here with our first category good on, us, by the way, good on us for taking 11 minutes in honor it sort of honoring the award show format <laughs> mm -hmm. taking 11 minutes and driving the audience crazy with get on with it that <laughs> no no, no. It's, and, it's, and also uh, offending sorry i'll clear my throat process, for about three more minutes <laughs> well with that cue the intro music because this is the start of 2023 oh, we have intro music no we don't we don't we're not that high production yet <laughs> next year next year once we've really taken off the first category. I'm picturing, I'm picturing the band that, that plays off stage in Boogie Nights when they do the. 
<laughs> Dirk Diggler picks up his first set. You guys know what I'm talking about? That band that's mm-hmm. off to the side in Tuxes? It's you, exactly. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen Boogie Nights. Come on. All right. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the first category of the 2023 jackets is the big mood moment of the year. It's not the most important play. But the moment, the, the play that stood for something bigger than what it meant in the context of a game. So we're, we're going to talk, you know, we talk about OU Texas. There's going to be plenty of OU Texas in here. You'll hear about Dylan Gabriel's touchdown at some point. But this is about a play that represented something bigger than what it was just at face value on the field. Some of the nominees, I'll start. Gavin Freeman's 82-yard touchdown versus Arkansas State. Two straight opening day touchdowns for the former walk-on uh, who it, it has been noted that he's sort of he's, he's the opening day guy. Week one, you want him returning your punts. Um, his impact tends to diminish as the season goes on, but Gavin Freeman owns opening day, and that 82-yard touchdown against Arkansas State uh, landed one of these nominations here for the big mood moment of the year. Guys, looking at the nominees, who, who jumped out to you? Well, OU Texas was a mood in itself, right? Hmm. And so the goal line stand uh, typified. I think OU won that game as much on emotion. You, you tipped as, our cards as it did That's before. The winner. You can't reveal the winner before all the nominees I are given. We were just uh, yes, it, we're, we're doing the nominees, and then you announced they don't the winner. Not say the winner all during right, the nominees. Right. I didn't line. say it was gonna. I, I didn't say it was gonna <laughs> win. You you the one that that spoiled the uh, the party by by jumping ahead of the and saying that it, I, I just uh, uncovered the winner. Clearly, the production meeting did not go to plan uh, at, at the Jackets this year. We're going to need a week of prep next year. Well, but no, continue, please. Goal line stand. Goal line stand, which is the winner of the Big Mood Moment of the Year award. Sorry again. I'm just I want to hear the rest. Well, we'll get to that then. Another one. I've we, we, another strong nominee, I'd say, was McCabe Matoyer's ejection against West Virginia. If you think about the context there, that was that followed the two losses to Kansas and Oklahoma State. Uh, it was late in that game, a blowout, but Drake Stoops got lit up, if you recall, in the touchdown right before it, some pushing and shoving. And then after the extra point, it was McCabe Matoyer, first with a shove and then with his mouth. He never told us what he said, uh, but he got tossed and got the, the fist pump from Joe Harris See, on the way out. See, that's the big mood I, moment. That might have been the, the runner-up. The big mood here. moment is not the ejection. It's the fist bump from Joe Harris on the way out. It was the fist bump. It was the fist bump, man. That was a big mood for McCabe Matoya right there. I, I think all those are good. Uh, you know, I might consider the goal line stand against Texas, though, Eli. Well, I, we've already we've skipped over other nominees, and we've gotten to the winner. The the goal line stand against Texas was e- far and away uh, the big one. Garen, I please you. I do not want you to feel bad, but run us through that sequence and and the bigger meaning there. Oh, you stopped Texas four straight times. It was pivotal. Let's get back to Matoire running his mouth. He he never said what he said. No, he just said. I mean, I could dig it up, but he said basically just said said stuff I shouldn't have. And uh, that's a travis a travesty that we never really covered that. Well, he's done now. Maybe we can get him on the jacket, <laughs> and he can tell us. Um, perhaps if if he was going to be the winner in this category, we could have given it to him in in person. He could have, as part of his acceptance speech, he could have dropped what he actually said to get. I'm ejected. just going to guess Damn that our shame. producer Jacqueline, uh, as great as she is, couldn't edit that out enough that it could be acceptable for the jacket. Uh, just kind of, you know, <laughs> assessing his mood on the field. I would imagine there were some choice words there. Indeed. Well, 
that was, I'd say, our big mood runner-up. The goal line stand against Texas. I mean, it started uh, started really actually on not on first down on that drive or uh, on that sequence, but uh, Jaron Canick, the goal line stop uh, of Jordan Whittington, right on the one yard line, stopped a touchdown, and then from there you had Kip Lewis's stop. You had Lewis and McCullough combining. You had Danny Stutzman and Desan McCullough combining, and then that big stop on the screen pass with, with Xavier Worthy. Uh, that was not where the scoring stopped. Texas came down and got those points, but the Sooners go on to win, as you said, Garen. Pivotal in that game, and then, you know, if that game was the peak for the Sooners, um, that moment, certainly for the Sooners' defense, was the peak of 2023, and afterward, Brent Venable said, you know, we want to build a program on that. Everything you saw in that four-play sequence is what we want to build on, and so that is our big mood moment of the year for the Oklahoma I would just, Sooners. I, right, I would just say on. this real quickly on the goal line stand. What what I think doesn't really matter, it's what Brent Venables and what the team thinks that really matters. I don't think it's like one of those things where Oklahoma just for four plays was way tougher than Texas. You know, I don't think it's as much a toughness thing as it is an execution thing that Oklahoma just executed better. But I think you can take that if you're a coach and you can you can use that as a moment to show your players that they do need to be tougher. And I do think it plays on their minds and the other team's minds when you have a goal line stand like that, that maybe you aren't as tough as the other team. So, you know, I, I don't think all of a sudden Oklahoma became tougher than Texas because of those four plays. I think they just executed better, but it was certainly a pivotal moment in that game and in the season. Well, the other thing is it played to Venable's roots in the rivalry. Because for a number of years, when he coached with Bob and Mike, Bob especially, when he was defensive coordinator at OU, Texas was, I don't think anyone would argue, you know, the more skilled team had the more stars, blah, 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 more hype. And the reason that Oklahoma did so well against that that era of Texas football was you knew they were going to make the toughness plays. They were going to get in the Longhorns' heads. They were going to believe that they were better, even if they weren't. And it was going to matter in moments like, uh, the, the stand from, from last October. So it was sort of a, a flashback, if you will. And uh, Venables, I know, preaches that stuff all the time to his players. It's one thing to say something that might have happened in 2006 or seven. It's quite another to go back to the last meeting between the two rivals, pull up that film and say, this is what I'm talking about. So, yeah, that's, that's going to resonate for a while. Garen, do you want to carry us into our next category? Well, let's see. How can I, I, I can do this? this? How can I ruin I You can do it. I actually know of one way. <laughs> you want me? You want me to do Back to the Future? That is correct. Okay, Back to the Future. Word. I'm reading. I'm reading. The, gosh, you. How many writers did you hire to come up with this script? By the way, the writing staff. Honestly, the the, the budget on that and the the sandwich table for the writing staff really <laughs> put us in a hole. Um, I don't know if we're gonna be able to do the jackets again next year. <laughs> this was it. <laughs> This was it. Um, the honor, the honor of Back to the Future award. Uh, the moment I'm reading again because I want to. I want to it's recognize off the your staff. Prompter. The moment in this. No, no, I'm going. I'm going prompter here. I, I don't have one, but I'm. I'd make it an exception in this case. The moment in the season. Those who lived it, coaches, fans, even neutral spectators, want to go back and change. Okay, so this is something that, we, if everyone had a do over, you'd do it different. I think that's what the writing staff had in mind. <laughs> that's what they, <laughs> you know, or just the play that that one moment. There, you know, on the whole, over a twelve-game season, thirteen-game season, Oklahoma didn't have that many regrettable moments. I'm sure some small decisions yeah. here and there, but we are talking about the biggest, 
I think a lot of people's minds will go, you know, some of the categories here. Um, two of them from Oklahoma State, the the late game overall play, and then that fourth down call to Drake Stoops. Uh, and, and earlier in that game, the direct snap fumble. Um, those would be two. Uh, a couple other categories on here that jump out to you guys. Well, there's going to be fans, Eli, who say that you go back and pick a new Bingo. official who was there for the pass interference mm-hmm. that wasn't called. <laughs> You can say what you want about the play call, the stoops on fourth down, or the uh, all the mess ups, and and in the, the exchanges uh, between center and Gabriel that day. But um, don't for, don't forget about he who shall not be named or identified in Oklahoma for fear of retribution, not throwing a flag on a pass interference. Yeah, that's the one that's going to stick with people for a very long time. Yeah, I think that's the one that immediately came to mind for me from the Oklahoma State game. Uh, And that fourth down play, like you mentioned, there's probably a lot of other fans also that would say that uh, you could just do a compilation right now on the big screen behind you at the award show of all the failed jet sweeps throughout the year. Mm. (laughs) I like those. That's a good that's a good shout. Um, That was considered by the voters a late arrival. to, to the voting party was uh, from the Alamo Bowl, not Jaleel Farouk's second fumble. It was deemed a fumble in the end, but that first one where they were really driving and Jackson Arnold fired a strike, it would have taken them down to what, at least the 10, something like that. And the ball pops loose. And, you know, in the scheme of things, how much did the Alamo Bowl matter, the result, the outcome of that one? But um, that game goes entirely differently if Jaleel Farouk hangs on to that pass as he's fighting for extra yards. I think. The obvious place, and the, and the voters really harped on this. It, miraculously, I'm on the writing staff and on the voting <laughs> committee. Um, the voters, of course, spent a lot of time on uh, on Oklahoma State, on uh, the pass interference call that wasn't, on Jeff Levy's fourth down call that went short to Drake Stoops. But it actually settled on the game the week before against Kansas as the one that was perhaps even more criminal and the one that maybe set the tone for what happened a week later against Oklahoma State. Because if you recall, the late game handling against Kansas, and this is our winner of the Back to the Future Award for 2023, it is how the Sooners handled things up 33-32 with 2.29 left at the Kansas 38-yard line. That is uh, the one that uh, the the voters deemed is the one that OU would love to go back and change. Garen, we were there together in Lawrence. We were. What, What do you remember about that drive? It was three yards on three plays that burned 24 seconds before a punt that went for a touchback I, and you know, set everything up. Yeah, the, that was bad. But, man, that, I, I just, that sort of comes with a sort of a waterfall of, of meltdown. I mean, it was just the back-to-back penalties. You, you talk about a precursor to Oklahoma mm-hmm. State. How about 30 yards of penalties in one sequence, which we saw first in Lawrence, figured, well, we're not going to see that again any, anytime soon, only to find out, the very next game that, oh, yes, we are. It's, it's going to be another quick 30 because of a, a penalty by the defense and then a reaction by the OU coaching staff that, that necessitates a second 15. And so that was just, a, I mean, the weather was, was awful. Um, the, uh, I, even when Oklahoma was, was leading the game, didn't ever get the feeling the Sooners were, were necessarily ready to play. Of course, the coaches denied that because they always do, but it just, the vibe was bad. Um, and, um, it was, I don't know, man, it was just, it was, it was how the game with Caleb Williams probably should have ended fellas, right? That, oh, you had no reason, had no rights to, 
to win that one two years ago and only did because Caleb Williams did something wild at the end to sort of pull OU out. Not sort of, he did. Um, this one, this was like two years in the making sort of sort of vibe where everything was just off from the jump. Somehow the Sooners won because of Williams two years ago. They didn't get Leave away with it Leave it to the KU time. grad and the OU hater to uh, bemoan the fact that KU didn't get it done when Caleb Williams was in Norman. No, I, I, I think I go back to a different moment in that game, guys. I think the early pick six by Dylan Gabriel is the moment you want back because mm-hmm. I think that set the tone for a game where Jeff Levy was afraid to put the ball in the air all afternoon. And then, you know, you got a guy who had 11 passes thrown until that final drive in the game, which, you know, I think was all because of that early pick six. So uh, whether it's a different play call or Dylan Gabriel making a different read on that route, I think that was kind of the beginning of what was probably for four quarters, Jeff Levy's worst performance of 2023. And he didn't, and it didn't get any better post game. If I remember. No. Well, and that was, you know, that all that you mentioned, the passes being thrown, Jason Bean threw 30 plus passes that day. And, and on that, that drive that we are talking about where they could have iced the game, needed one first down, opted, as they told us afterward, to try to burn Kansas's timeouts, didn't throw a pass and didn't have the faith to throw a pass to go for that first down at that point. And that, as you said, Garen continued the waterfall. If you guys remember, too, that's the day Danny Stutzman and Tawi Walker both got hurt. Yeah. It was just a no good, very bad day for the Sooners, but one they could have come away with a win in. They would have maintained their college football playoff hopes going into Bedlam. Who knows how everything is different. I do think for me, and then there, there were several decisions that in that game, as you mentioned, Todd, but right there, things go differently. You pick up that first down and come away with a win. Who knows what kind of season we are talking about at the end of it. Todd, do you want to take us into touchdown of the year? Pretty yeah, straightforward let's do it. category. The next category is touchdown of the year. There you go. Uh, this is the best touchdown of the season, and obviously there's extra meaning if it means a lot. Um, for example, you know, I mean, I think all three of us will get this. If you go Sergio Aguero's best goals, the best one is not exactly the mm. one, you know, that was the most skillful one. It was the one that meant the most. So uh, any chance I get to bring up Sergio Aguero, Manchester City, I will. But now back to the nominees, best touchdown of the year. Well, running through them, I think, you know, an early season one that probably gets lost in all the mix and is is a, a contender here, but was not a, a true, true favorite was, was Danny, Danny Stutzman's pick six against Tulsa. And that one carried some extra meaning. It was a blowout game early in the year, one a lot of us probably already forgotten about. But if you'll recall a year ago, Danny Stutzman had a pick that should have gone for six, and he got chased down. And he didn't stop hearing about that for about a full year until at Chapman Stadium. He had the pick six and finished it off. Uh, and, and that was uh, one of the early defensive highlights of the early part of the season. Um, speaking of highlights of the early season, uh, I don't know if this made the, the writers cut Eli, but Fre- mm. you know, Freeman's punt return was pretty cool. Was you had got you, two mentions now. You, you have to, uh, you have to sort of think about it because it's, it feels like a, you know, a different year. And, uh, but it, unfortunately for, and it's not Freeman's fault that he's sort of lumped into the jet sweep complex mm. that Levy kind of ran, ran up against. <laughs> Sometimes it's not the player's fault. The coordinator calls something he shouldn't. But in fairness to the youngster, he, he did do something pretty dynamic once upon a time this season that uh, 
that was about as loud as I remember Owen Field being until very late in the year in reaction to that touchdown. So I'll, I'll just a little love for, for a kid who's taken a few lumps since that touchdown return. It's amazing how much stuff here. ebbs and flows during the season because the last thing I think of Gavin Freeman and punt returns is fans on Twitter calling for somebody else to be back there catching the punts. Uh, so it, that was very early on. Arkansas State, who turned out to be a decent team after they looked like one of the worst teams. Yeah, they look like Both one of the worst teams. teams in college football history that Saturday. Um, I One of the nominees that I really liked, and a lot of this is because I'm a proponent for him him having forever eligibility and because his dad's a co-worker, is the Drake Stoops touchdown against West Virginia. That whole game, I thought, was kind of uh, a culmination of what turned out to be I mean, I think people are always going to love Drake Stoops because his name was Stoops, but numbers-wise, had an incredible career at Oklahoma, uh, and it was cool that he kind of had one game in the back end of his last season to show out that 60-yard touchdown pass was the best play, or the best touchdown, I should say, from that game. That one was great. I mean, he caught it over the middle of the field. It wasn't like a deep bomb. You see 60 yards, and even going back just to rewatch it, I was like, I didn't just forget that he caught like a 60-yarder. No, he caught a 15, 20-yard pass, toe-tapped the sideline, stayed in bounds, and then cut in. And then for like the last five yards, he drags several West Virginia defenders in. That was kind of the existential Drake Stoops touchdown, I think, of this season. Uh, obviously, elsewhere in that game is where he caught one and, and got popped and held on to it. But those two touchdowns, but especially the 60-yarder, were ones that, um, that felt very Drake Stoops uh, in a series of really great Drake Stoops performances and, and touchdowns this year. Uh, another one that was a runner-up, Billy Bowman's 100-yard pick six, a strong runner-up against BYU, because not only was it impressive and athletic and all those things, they certainly needed that score that day. I mean, their their scoring in the second half against BYU came courtesy of the defense with, with the Bowman pick six and Danny Stutzman's forced fumble to set up a short field. And in a game that Jackson Arnold came out looking clean, and the Sooners came out with a win in Provo. It was Billy Bowman's pick six that, that set the table. It's a lot of people who covered the Sooners who, by the end of the year, agreed that Bowman was the team's best player. And that that moment, I think, is as much a reason why as as any. It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just the fact that he, he went 99 uh, and that he did something that, you know, on instinct or, or, or whatever it was to be in the right place at the right time, but it became, again, some players just have a sense for the moment, right? And they they, they find the ball uh, at, at a time where the team really needs them to. And Bowman seemed to do that more than any other player. There's an argument for Stutzman in there somewhere, I'm sure. But in, in terms of game-changing plays, difference-making plays, uh, hard to imagine anyone. I just thought of something. Impact. We were talking then, earlier then, about then, the big mood moments of the year. And I know our winner is pretty obvious, and we'll get to that in a second. But – from that same OU Texas game, it was Bowman, right, that delivered the hit near the goal line on the early interception. I mean, I think that was a big mood moment as well in that ball game. I was think Bowman, Bowman delivered the hit, who, who and delivered I think, the shot. I can't remember who yeah. intercepted the pass, but that was another one of those moments early on where I remember Billy Bowman making a really big play. The touchdown of the year, though, is obvious. It's mm-hmm. one of the best touchdowns in OU Texas history. At the end of the game, Dylan Gabriel to Nick Anderson. That was the one. You talk about players stepping up in big moments, that whole drive. I mean, Dylan Gabriel had a fine day that day, but nothing special until he picked up the ball with however however much time was left, five plays, 75 yards, and it ends with that pass 
uh, to Nick Anderson. And you, you said it, Todd, an OU Texas moment for the ages. Dylan Gabriel's OU Texas moment. And uh, it's not to say that the senior season peaked there at the Cotton Bowl. Maybe it did, but certainly the peak of the season, the moment that felt where the closest Sooners were closest to the mountaintop was right then and there in that end zone uh, in, in it, Dallas. There are a lot of OU players who go down in history because of careers they had against Texas. Some it's games where they just, whether they come out of nowhere or they, they just, you know, find a different level in one afternoon at the Cotton Bowl. And they're always remembered for that. I'm trying to think of another player. And I guess this applies mostly to quarterbacks who go down in history because of one drive. It, 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 I guess plays. Yeah, of course there's going to be plays as well in there somewhere, but you're, but we don't have a seminal drive, do we? You know, you Texas history, or we didn't until until that occurred. It's probably fair. I mean, I think you talk about plays. Mine goes to Roy Williams, but that would be diminishing to just to to confine yeah, him to I that think one. Caleb play, Williams, the Marvin right. Mims, there is, is another no one you have to throw in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly, but as as far as a drive goes, I think Even, Aaron, you might have a point there. We've got to dive into the history or. Call up Mike Brooks. We should have had Mike Brooks on uh, for the award. Even show. at the Put end that of that 2021 game, it wasn't really a drive at the end of the game. It was the Kennedy Brooks walk-off run where OU looked like they were just trying to get it in field goal yeah. range. Mm-hmm. Well, this this was easily the moment of the year, the touchdown of the year, the everything of the year. Dylan Gabriel to Nick Anderson from three yards out and then Pandemonium. And the Sooners you know, got right on last year's loss. Um, that was everything, and if, if that's the peak of Dylan Gabriel's time at OU, then uh, he had a pretty dang good time at Oklahoma in his two years. Moving on from the touchdown of the year to the performance of the year, the, the individual most outstanding performance of the 2023 season. Pretty long list. There were plenty of good ones throughout, and it was kind of about parsing the ones that really, really mattered, the big ones, um, and, and also taking into account where they occurred. Um, you could go all the way back to week two. Um, you know, Danny Stutzman, 17 tackles against SMU. You could go with Dylan Gabriel popping off against Tulsa. Nick Anderson, three touchdowns against Tulsa. But they really got good in the later part of the year, guys, in, in some of those big blowouts. And then in those games, I mean, our, our winner came from Bedlam. But in, in the lead-up to there, where were the uh, the nominees that uh, that jumped out to you guys? I liked uh, I like that you you included Canick. You know, there's a guy that's sort of been forgotten because of not just Stutzman's dominance at linebacker, the guy next to him, but the emergence of Kip Lewis, who I think everyone's pretty excited about for good reason going into next season. Saw some of that again at the Alamo Bowl against Arizona, but Canick uh, for sort you know sort of this right. This this season was up and down, um, a lot of good, some not so good. But I, I, I don't want his contribution to the development of Venable's defense, the strides that that defense made to be lost. And the fact that you included the 13-tackle sack, uh, one-sack effort against Texas is is extremely worthy. He had a great day that day. And, and unfortunately, as you said, I mean, that was sort of where his season, mm-hmm. um, in terms of prominence, maybe tailed off. But there's no getting around his contributions that day. The sack was big. Uh, and those tackles were important, and that one tackle right at the goal line to set up the, the goal line. I have a little bit of a huge. problem with the winner in this category <clears throat> because I think the winner, well, I think the well, winner is Dylan Gabriel's it. eight touchdown performance against West Virginia. I mean, this is a time where Oklahoma was coming off two straight losses. He sets a school record in the game against a West Virginia team that 
you know, I mean, who would have thought thunk at the beginning of the year? I know you did, Eli, that Neil Brown would go from being on the hot seat to being in a chair having mayonnaise dumped on his head. Um, they they turned out to be a pretty good ball club, West Virginia, and that performance was huge at a time that Oklahoma really needed to right the ship. It's a fair point and a fair gripe. He's, I would say outside of game context, easily the biggest performance of the season. Those eight touchdowns set a bunch of Oklahoma records. Another thing Dylan Gabriel gets to leave here with in the 2023 season. But this might be controversial. This is point of award shows, guys. He will not leave with the individual performance of the year award because that is going to Drake Stoops in Bedlam in a loss. 12 catches, 134 yards, and, one and a touchdown. Interference that wasn't he is called. our winner of the performance. Well, here's where he gets credit. This is a time you, you mentioned the lot. Well, they were coming off one loss uh, in Kansas and they were in Stillwater struggling. The offense was stuck in the mud, turning the ball over, silly stuff. The one constant they had in that game and the thing that was producing for them was throwing the ball to Drake Stoops. He had a touchdown before halftime that turned a 17-7 game into a 17-14 game. That was big. Uh, he made catches all over the place, and he was everywhere, good and bad. I mean, he was there. He thought he'd caught a touchdown uh, on uh, on the P.I., and he didn't get that call. And I know people, it was debated, you know, should he have been further down the field? Jeff Levy thought so and mentioned that prominently after the game. Was it a poor play call on fourth down? Probably. But Drake Stoops made a hell of a catch. I even, I want to say I tweeted incompletion. It was in the whole fracas of mm -hmm. Bedlam ending. I thought he hadn't caught that ball. And if you watch it again, he bobbles it and he hauls it in. It's short of the marker. But even then, Drake Stoops stood up. And I, I think even in a loss, even up against an eight-touchdown Dylan Gabriel game, that is why he was the winner the performance of the year award here's why i'm okay with drake getting the award guys is the aftermath and that was him talking about what happened at osu and who didn't the coach was silent on the matter of the play calls at the end of the game and things that went wrong during the game that's brent venable's call to make his coordinators unavailable to media on monday so i guess the blame eventually lands on on brent that's lame Drake Stoops on that Monday after was available and talked as, as often as for as long as reporters wanted about, about Bedlam showing the maturity that was lacking elsewhere in the program in the aftermath of that game. And uh, if, if you want to say again, that's Brent's call not to make Levy available the Monday after Levy was available in the immediate post game. And I thought Stoops as well as other players handled themselves better than, than, uh, than Jeff uh, in the post game. And so I, I like, I'm fine with, with Stoops winning the award just on production in that game. I'm more fine with him in the, in the resonate, you know, the fact that it resonated afterwards with the, with mm. the responsibility he took for what went down, which normally is supposed to fall to the coaches. Not in this case, he was the most mature player in the program in the 48 hours after. I think that, I know I we're that going long on time, like most award show, but shows, but I just want to point out, I think it was a couple days after that when Stoops had what I think is, if you want to put into a quote or a soundbite what Brent Venables wants from his program, he had the quote about when he was asked, what do you guys still have to play for uh, after practice? I think it was the week after the Oklahoma State game where he talked about like, hey, we're I came here to play football and we play for each other and I've got games left and, you know, I'm going to keep playing hard for the rest of the season. Um, you know, it's almost like his dad was a coach or something, the way he answered that question, but uh, that was, you're right, Garen. It was interesting how that was handled from the coaches and how it was handled by Drake Stoops afterwards. And I thought 
Uh, Drake Stoops, not that he needed to, but he did himself a lot of favors when it comes down comes to how he'll be remembered by Oklahoma fans. All right, we're going to speed through these final three categories. Guys, 1964, Julie Andrews made her on-screen debut, debut as Mary Poppins. Imagine that being your debut. That's big. And uh, there were some OU newcomers who truly excelled in 2023 as well. So the Julie Andrews Award for the best newcomer of the 2023 season uh, is, is what we're going to hand out next. Todd, well, you want to I mean, run I, us through I this think one? My- had he been healthy all year, I think Andrew Anthony probably wins the award. Unfortunately, he gets injured and misses a good chunk of the season, but he was off to an incredible start. And I think part of why we talk about why Drake Stoops was so important is because he was one of the guys that did step up uh, and was more productive after Anthony's injury. Uh, you know, Caden Green, uh, we can't give him an award. I mean, we don't want. Yeah, careful. yeah, we don't. We don't Be want careful. People. Hey, he was very impressive. Well, leave it time to the Missouri the grad to put Caden Green on the list here. Um, <laughs> hey, it was the writers' room. It was the writers' room. I will admit, we pulled primarily from the University of Missouri um, for the writers' room. Uh, Jackson um, Arnold, I don't think did enough. Luke Elzinga, I mean, he did well. Had a great yeah, Alamo Bowl. Had a great Alamo. No bowl. idea he had a great Alamo Bowl until you listed what he did in the Alamo Bowl. Yeah, I, I had no really clue. good Alamo Bowl. Because you weren't watching the right stuff. I was watching the quarterback only, like like 99% of the, <laughs> the rest of the viewing public. Well, I'll give a shout to, uh, as a combo, to, to yep. Dejon Terry and Jacob Lacey, who we're going to get to the defensive line a little later as well. But they were two guys in terms of the transfers. It wasn't always flashy. It wasn't always sexy. The stats don't necessarily jump out at you. But um, they made a real difference up the middle. But, Garen, we're going to let you hand out the Julie Andrews Award as I know you're a big Mary Poppins and Sound of Music fan. Who does the best newcomer go to? The best newcomer goes to Jonathan Brooks, running back, <laughs> University of Texas, for, for, for his 100-yard effort against the Sooners and a losing cause. But no, um, this, this, is, this is well-deserved. And again, it goes back to the Drake Stoops Award, not just for how he played, but how he talked and how he, comp- how he composed himself, dealt with the media, or biased that way. Uh, tackle Walter Rouse. Um, is this year's Julie Andrews Award winner. I, I hope you brought Julie to present uh, Walter with his jacket, or can you? Wait, can it you? It was simply not in the budget. But is she with us still? Yes, she is. is. Careful now. I get that. So I get her and Mary Tyler Moore confused all the time. I don't know why. Got to be careful there. Is Mary Got to be this? careful there. I'm not even going to guess for legal. I, I don't want right. to, you know, Walter, be careful Walter, if, all right. If you're uh, listening, Walter, Donovan my second Award. favorite Walter behind Sobchak. Uh, if you're listening, Walter, this selloutcrowd.com hoodie comes in your size as well. We'd love for you to come on uh, either the Letterman jacket or the Todd Pod or Mind Games and have mm. a chat with us. Uh, his, you know, I, I in my newsletter that released today as we're recording this Wednesday, uh, January 3rd, I put in there your story from last year. It was one of my favorite reads, not to pat you on the back too much, Eli, but his family history when OU went to Cincinnati. And his grandfather, Vic Rouse, who played uh, on a national championship team at Loyola Chicago. Ironically enough, someone that Porter Moser had heard about in his time at Loyola as well. If you haven't read that story, you need to go back in the archives at selloutcrowd.com and check it out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. I didn't anticipate my own honor and, and mention in, in my own awards show, but that is so unbelievably kind. And uh, Todd, Thank I, you I'll much. get you that $5. I told you I'd pay you later. Make it up for the shots um, over your wardrobe is what he yeah. did, which we both need to do <laughs> before we're done, by the way. All right. 
three soccer fans here, the Landon Donovan Award, you know, given our shared affinity. Is this for the, the player US that did the best team, against Algeria? Uh, Landon Donovan. Is that what this award is? <laughs> yes. Congratulations. <laughs> McCade Matoyer. Not only did he shake, you know, give the fist bump to Joe Harris, but he pumped <laughs> Algeria earlier this year. Folks might forget. No, uh, about eight years before Landon Donovan did that to Algeria, he was the Young Player uh, Award winner of the 2002 World Cup given to the top uh, young player in the tournament. So the top underclassman performer for the Sooners uh, is who we are handing the Landon Donovan Award out to. Uh, names like Caden Green pop up, Peyton Bowen pops up, Gentry Williams, uh, Kip Lewis, Robert Spears Jennings. I think Gavin Sawchuk deserves a shout as uh, the running back who over the second half of the season really established himself uh, as potentially the Sooners number one going into next year with some really impressive performances. But this honor is going to go to one Nick Anderson, who, if you want to put an asterisk on it, as a, he was not a first-year freshman, but a redshirt freshman, but set the freshman touchdown record with 10, uh, got that last one in the Alamo Bowl, 38 catches, 798 yards, 10 touchdowns, and the Landon Donovan Award goes to Nick Anderson. I just hope Nick knows who Landon Donovan is. We'll have to ask him next what time. What are the odds? I bet, bet I bet they're pretty high. He seems like a world. I seems bet like he a and Rodney athlete. have got gone head to head at some FIFA in the past. So yeah, he, that's true. They're they're a competitive family. I do know Nick Anderson games. I don't know yeah. what he plays, but he's a gamer. You'd be surprised so how many of those guys know about soccer from FIFA. Although they might have started playing FIFA after Landon Donovan mm-hmm. was a thing. Um, that's I, awesome. I was, yeah. Landon Donovan was on a FIFA really? cover once upon a time. 2010 oh yeah that's right, right. That i remember that was right about when i started playing i think 09 was my first fifa year I, i'll just mm-hmm. say this i think nick anderson deserves the award as far as guys i'm most excited about next year um nick anderson's up there high on the list obviously jackson arnold probably needs to be in his own category because the quarterback position is mm-hmm. different but i don't know how you could watch the alamo bowl last week and not be excited about kip lewis i mean he was all over the field and i'm really excited to see how he progresses in his next season with the Sooners. Yeah, Lewis is a guy that, again, I think, what, 80% of what he's doing is on instinct because I, I really don't think he's got it down yet, the defense. He's one of those guys, again, that with another year experience, if he could just connect some dots and, and sort of put his knowledge, you know, connect his knowledge to his skill, it's, it's going to be really uh, exciting to see where, where he goes. I would add that uh, Gentry Williams, who feels a little bit more like a veteran than a newcomer, is a player who is going, people are getting excited about Woody Washington's return next year, and I get it. But I, I think we should all keep a really close eye on, on the uh, trajectory of Williams uh, at the corner as well, back in, in, in Brent's secondary, because again, world, just a terrific athlete, world class speed. It's just a matter of figuring out the defense to go along with the natural Where tools. Do you go to and I think school? he's getting there. All right. Uh, <laughs> Boston Westlake, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> That's your alma mater, right? <laughs> Austin Westlake grad. All right, final category. I want each of you to give me your pitch once I've for, for a, a winner here. Uh, once I've, I've delivered what the award will be, it's the Odell Haggins Award. But a lot of folks don't know that name. But Odell Haggins is the longest tenured assistant in the country. Been at one school longer than any other. Thirty years, dating back to 1994, he has been an assistant coach at Florida State. Incredible story, and you got to imagine what that guy knows, what he's seen, all that stuff. So the award for the top OU assistant or assistants, if you want to go to a certain uh, position group, uh, goes to who, guys? 
I would. Well, that's this is maybe the toughest call of, of the, the list, guys. I I don't know if there was a standout. I'd probably start with Emmett Jones, just because of uh, the fact that he didn't have uh, a standout receiver necessarily, and he and he found a way to make Gabriel a better quarterback with the receivers at, at Dylan's uh, disposal. And that usually is is as much the that is as much the receivers coach as a quarterbacks coach. And uh, to lose Anthony along the way, to have guys who you think are going to be good not necessarily pan out. I thought it was a it wasn't an outstanding core, but it was a it was a very very good core and enough to again take Gabriel to another yeah, level. Yeah, I think you got to look you got to look at the secondary a little bit for all the reasons we talked about with Billy Bowman earlier and with Woody Washington coming back. I think secondary over the last decade has been somewhere. Where Oklahoma State has been bad more than or Oklahoma has been bad more than good. Um, apologies. Now I'm going to get the hate mail, Garrett. <laughs> You're going to land on Garrett's. He's side the of Texas this guy. Thing. I'm the OSU guy. Remember. Uh, but I'm if we're Missouri just guy, talking we're about screwed. on the field, I like where you're going with the winner, which I'll let you reveal, Eli. But I do think if we're talking off the field stuff as well, I mean, Demarco Murray landed the number one running back in the country in Taylor Tatum. Uh, he he put together Tawi Walker. I would argue that, Oh, you got as much as they could get out of him this year. And, you know, Gavin Sawchuk, like you talked about when he's healthy, continues to look better and better. So I think maybe sneakily he might be in the mix, but I do like the winner you have Eli. Sorry. I mean, the, I mean the winner, the writers. Well, pick. I think Bill. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Bill Beanbow always deserves a shout in this conversation. Um, year after year, they continue to pump out kind of regardless of who they have a, a really quality offensive line and some offensive line talent, two guys, uh, absolutely probably going to be drafted this year. I think McCabe Matoyer and Walter Rouse probably have, have some possibilities too. uh, Jeff Levy, I think for the work he did both in elevating Dylan Gabriel this year, uh, and shepherding Jackson Arnold. I mean, genuinely the fact outside of all the other talk, but Jackson Arnold being in this spot on January 3rd, 2024, which is in line to be the Sooners next starting quarterback and all went well. Jeff Levy deserves some credit there, but our, our pick here for the Odell Haggins award is going to go to Miguel Chavis and Todd Bates on the defensive line. Again, kind of like Dejon Terry and Jacob Lacey before maybe an unsung unit. Um, but OU went from 106 to 45th in run D this year, finished seventh in tackles for loss. And they go into next year, um, really with the, the basis of a pretty strong defensive line. I'm surely they're going to add more in the portal, but you can look at Lacey and Terry. You can look at Ethan Downs and look in the depth behind them and say that Oklahoma goes into 2024 feeling pretty good up front. And that is why the Odell Haggins Award, the final award of the inaugural Jacket Awards, uh, these will be mailed to, to the winners, the, the awards, uh, but not first class mail because we don't have the money <laughs> for that. Um, guys, that's a wrap on the Jackets. What do we think? Are we doing it again next year? I hope so. I, I, I mean, People deserve this. People deserve this content. I, right? Walter Rouse, what they if need. you are uh, watching or observing this content, like Garen says, other people are, uh, get in touch with Eli. He'll have a jacket made your size, and he'll present it to you. Uh, you can even be a presenter on next year's no jacket in person. Do, uh, do Bates and Chavis have to split one jacket? Mm-hmm. Again, budget constraints. We don't. We don't have enough to print extra Garen jackets. To see what that's going to look like. That's that's that is up to the winners and how they choose to split it. But that is going to wrap up the inaugural jacket awards. It's going to wrap up this edition of the Letterman Jacket. 
Uh, I know Garen and Todd have tons going on at selloutcrowd.com. I do as well. All of our colleagues do. A big thank you to Jacqueline Musgrove, our producer, creative director, Michael Lane, and everybody at Sellout Crowd who makes this stuff happen. We'll be back with another podcast next week. <laughs>